And I'd like to invite you to turn to the book of Romans first. You know, Romans is, uh, is a book which focuses on righteousness by faith, along with the Galatians. And this book, interestingly enough, by focusing on righteousness by faith, is also concluded by a statement about prophecies. How prophecies would help us to understand righteousness by faith. So I'd like to invite you to turn with me to the book of Romans, at the very last chapter, chapter 16. And this is Romans 16. And I'm reading verses 25 to 27. The very last part, the really concluding sentences of this beautiful um, letter to the Romans. Romans 16 and verses 25 to 27. Now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery kept secret since the world began, but now made manifest and by the prophetic scriptures made known to all nations according to the commandment of the everlasting God for obedience to the faith. To God alone wise be glory through Jesus Christ forever. Amen. So, a letter in the New Testament that was designed to teach about righteousness by faith, and it is concluded by a reference to the prophetic writings. And very interesting that prophecies in the Bible not only talk about the future, just to feed human curiosity, but these prophetic writings are about the gospel, It says the preaching of Jesus Christ. It is also a revelation of mysteries of God. But finally he says that the scriptures are practically for the obedience to the faith. So how you and me can be obedient and be faithful to God. That's what the prophetic writings are all about. And so when you think about the prophecy, think about your own behavior, your own character, your own faithfulness, your own faith. And I found something which was very, very interesting. And uh, some of these quotations I'm, I'm going to quote from Christ's Object Lessons just a few sentences, about human character. And we need to understand that prophecies are about, I believe, character building. Because how can you see things which God is bringing unless you have the right character? So in... um, 
in Christ Object Lessons on page 331 and 332, 331 and 332, I found the following very interesting advices by Ellen White. She said, But Christ has given us no assurance that to attain perfection of character is an easy matter. It's not easy. A noble, all-round character is not inherited. It's not an easy matter. And it is not inherited. Then what it is? It does not come to us by accident. Character is something we need to think a little deeper. It says a noble character is earned by individual effort through the merits and the grace of Christ. So no character building without Christ. God gives the talents, the powers of mind. We form the character. How do you form a character? God gives you talents, the powers of mind. Then you, by God's grace, form your character. It is formed by hard, stern battles with self. Character forming is not something I'm battling with you. I'm battling with myself. This is uh, something which happens inside a stern battle with self. Conflict after conflict must be waged against hereditary tendencies. We shall have to criticize ourselves closely and allow not one unfavorable trait to remain uncorrected. That's a big job. <laughs> what do you think? That's a huge job. It takes the whole lifetime. Then on, on the next page... And that's where um, the prophecy comes in, interestingly enough. On page 332, Ellen White says, Be ambitious for the Master's glory, not for your own glory. To cultivate every grace of character. In every phase of your character building, you are to please God. And then the prophecy comes in, stand like Daniel. So Ellen White herself is bringing an example of Daniel, that faithful statesman, a man whom no temptation could corrupt. Do not disappoint him who so loved you that he gave his own life to cancel your sins. 
And then finally the classic sentence. A character formed according to the divine likeness is the only treasure that we can take from this world to the next. We are not packing suitcases for eternity. (laughs) You know, whenever we travel with Martha, we are always measuring the suitcases, the size, the weight, carry on. If the plane is big enough, then you have to then, then you can have carry on if the plane is too small. You don't, you don't carry anything in the cabin because everything is stored. And whenever you travel, you need to measure how much you can carry uh, in your backpack. But to heaven, we are not carrying any backpacks. We are not going to carry anything. She is saying the character formed according to the divine likeness is the only treasure. The only treasure we can take from this world to the next. So this is, I believe, is very important to think about character building. And let's go to the book of Daniel now. Uh, Chapter 1. I'm not reading the whole chapter, although this is not a long one. But I'd like to make at least five points this morning. Five points which I try to focus based on Daniel chapter 1. I'm reading the first and second verse and the very last one. Okay, so Daniel chapter 1, verses 1 and 2 and then 21. It says, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, with some of the articles of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar to the house of his God. And he brought the articles into the treasure house of his God. And then... The very last sentence says, Thus Daniel continued until the first year of King Cyrus. At least three different persons, King Jehoiakim, King of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, who was at that time probably a prince, because we know from history that... uh, Nabopolassar was his father and he was still alive when he besieged Jerusalem. So he was uh, the chief general of the army. He was a military personnel. And the thing is that Daniel was taken among those prisoners of war, we, we should say today, prisoners of war, to a very far foreign country 
And then he has stayed there for close to 70 years because when Nebuchadnezzar besieged Jerusalem, based on history books, probably happened in 605 B.C. It's quite a long time ago. And then we know that this other king, King Cyrus, when he came into power, there was probably in 537 B.C. So the difference is about 68 years. What do you think this whole chapter wants to tell us? This is about a national crisis. A crisis situation. Try to imagine that someone would take this country... Besiege this. Would destroy, would take the president or the king, if you take the biblical example. He took the king, Nebuchadnezzar took the king, Jehoiakim. But he also took something else. And this is what I try to think a little more. What this young man, Nebuchadnezzar, did to some of the items he found in the house or temple of God. He took those. Where was God when it happened? Was he silent? What happens when God is silent? Because there was his people, the Jews. And there was a king of Judah, the faithful part of the kingdom. And this man was taken into captive. And this king, with no trouble, took some of the items that were dedicated for holy purpose. And he took those items, and where did he, where did he finally put those? He brought the articles into the treasure house of his God. Where is God? Whose God is the real one? Is he acting or is he silent? You know, whenever something unexpected happens, which happened this week to Roy, Roy and Lene, we can always ask the same question. Where was God? Was he silent? Is he a silent God doing nothing? I believe it was a shock to these young men. The Bible mentions four of them, but there were probably more. All part of the kingly family, noble people, young men, good-looking, smart. All of a sudden, they lost everything and they are deported to a far-away country. 
Where was God? Where is God? Why is he silent? Is there any change which he does not know? He is not protecting his own. He is not protecting those holy vessels, articles from the temple dedicated to his service. I believe these were the questions in the minds of Daniel and his friends. So point number one is, whose God is the real one? What happens when God is silent? The Bible even says that the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. So a king of his own people is given to a pagan king and God is the one who's giving? Think about that. And he also gave some of the articles of the house of God. So how can you describe this whole situation? Well, this is something we, um, we need to think about because... Uh, when it comes to the book of Daniel, we need to see the character of the prophet and his friends behind all prophecies. And I'm switching to another book by Ellen White, Testimonies to Ministers and Gospel Workers. On page 114, I found the following. When the books of Daniel and Revelation are better understood... Believers will have an entirely different religious experience. They will be given such glimpses of the open gates of heaven that heart and mind will be impressed with the character that all must develop in order to realize the blessedness which is to be the reward of the pure in heart. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And so Ellen White is linking this sentence by Jesus to the story of Daniel. And he's saying that if we understand these books a little better, then we would see something. We would see the open gates of heaven. And heart and mind will be impressed with the character that all must develop. And sometimes character development is practically happening in crisis situations. If you read something about psychology, you will understand a very, very important principle. Character is not your everyday life. Character is what you show in a crisis situation. That's what it is. Your character is not what everybody observes when everything is fine. Character is built through crisis situation. That could be personal crisis, could be national crisis, or a disaster or an accident or a sickness. 
And so this was step number one. There was a national crisis. And then it was followed by a personal crisis. Let's read another part of this story. If you could move to verses 5 to 7. This is Daniel chapter 1. We are staying with Daniel now. And Daniel chapter 1 verses 5 to 7. And the king appointed for them a daily provision of the king's delicacies and of the wine which he drank. And three years of training for them so that at the end of that time they might serve before the king. Now from among those of the sons of Judah were, some of those, not every, he's not mentioning everyone, were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. To them the chief of the eunuchs gave names. He gave Daniel the name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abed-Nego, or Abed-Nebo. Or Abed-Abed-Abed-Nego, Abed-Nego, okay. These are two words, practically, I'm trying to, <laughs> to follow the Hebrew, you know. Abed means servant. And then Nego or Nebo would be... Uh, Nabu, one of the gods of the Babylonians, Nabu. So uh, they changed the names. There was a personal crisis situation. How would you react if someone would say that your name is changed? Wrong. Someone would go to you and say, um, let's say at one o'clock this afternoon your name will be changed. If it's better than what it means. <laughs> <laughs> how, how would you react? Because this is existential. It's an existential question, especially in biblical times, because the name they carried reflected the character. So it's all about character. And some of us would say to you, your name is going to be different. You would not be Laszlo anymore, but Stephen. I have a middle name, Stephen, to be honest. To tell you a secret. <laughs> my father was Stephen, so I carry his name. And my grandfather was Stephen, too. So I'm carrying two first. I mean, a middle name. My first name is Laszlo. And then middle name, there would be Stephen. Because that's how the parents decided. And now, now we have four kids. About the age of 17. And this man decided that your name is going to be different. Well, we don't have any explanation of all of the names. What I could gather is that Daniel, the name Daniel, means God is my judge. And his name changed to Belteshazzar, if I'm pronouncing it correctly. I hope I, I, I'm trying. <laughs> I mean, I'm trying my best. Belteshazzar, which means Baal. Baal was another king. For the Babylonians, Nabu was another one, but Baal was probably the, the 
chief of the gods, Baal protect his life, meaning the king's life. So he had the name God is my judge, and now all of a sudden my name is Baal, a pagan god, would protect my king, my new king. Hananiah would mean the Lord is gracious. And we have no answer to the, to the new name. Nobody knows as far as I could search. Nobody really knows what the new name uh, means. Shedrach. We, we have no idea what that name means. People are guessing. Scholars are guessing. Um, then the third person was uh, Mishael, which means who belongs to God. His name is Meshach. We don't know what does it mean. The fourth one, Ezariah, which means the Lord helps. And his name was changed to Abednego. Is it correct? Abednego. Okay. Two names. Servant of Nabu. That's what it means. So we know for sure for the first and the last names that they mean something which was alien to their way of thinking. And all and on the top of the whole thing they had to go through a three year college education. Because that's what we read. That the king would give them a training, a three year college education, I would call it the brainwash. I'm not against education because I had my own education and I've been teaching for years. But you know, we, lo- we lose most of our kids when they start college education. That's a fact. We lose most of them when they start college education. So this king decided that I will educate these four people, four young men. They are smart, good-looking men with no nobility, part of the kingly family, coming from a good background. So I need good counselors, good advisors. Three years and they will be different. This was an existential question for them. Then number three, point number three of the story is the critical decision. Whatever happens to you, you have to make a critical decision. Especially in crisis situations. Let's go to verses 8 and 9. It says, but Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's delicacies, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the chief of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Now God had brought Daniel into the favor and goodwill of the chief of the eunuchs. What is this? Was God silent? 
You know, God is working sometimes behind the scenes. And this is why we have so many unbelievers in this world, because they don't see God. But God is there. How do you know that God was there? Half a sentence. It says God had brought Daniel into the favor and goodwill of the chief of the eunuchs. Sometimes we take it for granted that somebody shows us some kind of favor. And we don't see God behind it. But after all, they were prisoners of war. Practically slaves. And who cares about them? Well, the story says that God did care of them. Because he made them um, in a favorable, put him in a favorable position and a goodwill, which is kindness, if you will, kindness of the chief of the eunuchs. But there was something which Daniel had to decide about. In the critical uh, moment, he made a critical decision. Verse 8 says, Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself. Purposed uh, in his heart. It's it's a difficult uh, expression. The New American Standard Bible says, Daniel made up his mind. The Hebrew says he made a decision in his heart. Why is that so important to make a decision in our hearts? What what is the heart? Or, Or where is the heart? Is he talking about this little muscle here? That's a little pump. Pumping as long as you live. Pumping the blood. And, and, and keep on the circulation. Well, um, there is a beautiful uh, psalm. This is the longest. 119. You know, this is a beautiful long song, uh, psalm. I'm just reading one verse, verse 11. Psalm 119, verse 11 says, Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Heart. Which in biblical terms means the inner life. Nobody really sees that. And so Daniel made a decision in his heart. He decided. He made up his mind. He made a decision in his heart about what? He said he would not defile himself. Why? We don't know exactly the menu they were provided. But Daniel knew something. Whatever they provide would not follow 
the eating habits described in the book of Moses. And of course, wine. He decided he would not drink wine. Sometimes people believe that drinking a little wine is good. I, I don't know how you feel about that. <laughs> Some believe that if you, re- if you drink a little red wine, that would even give you strength and help you provide red blood cells and so on. Some of the physicians, we remember we had a, a family doctor in Hungary, and I, what did he say? A little wine, just a little wine, it's good for your health. But then I decided, no, no, it's not good for me. There was a decision in his heart. And then number four, lesson number four is found in Daniel uh, chapter 1, verses 12 to 14. And what was his request? What did Daniel ask for the chief of the eunuchs? Verse 12 says, Please test your servants for ten days and let them give us vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance be examined before you and the appearance of the young man who ate the portion of the king's delicacies. And as you see fit, so deal with your servants. So he consented with them in his matter and tested them ten days. What was this? Test of faith or test of appetite? Test of body? And why ten days? Do you think ten days would make a difference? Do 10 days make a difference? We did something with Martha a few, few months ago. There was a so-called cleansing diet, or uh, some people call it liquid diet. You don't eat, just swallow. You, you just take liquid. No solid food. We could not do it for 10 days, but we did it for 7 days. And I remember when we saw Ron for the first time, <laughs> he said, Pastor, you are different. What, what happened to you? <laughs> I believe 10 days can make a difference. It's a test of faith. And so there was, uh, there was point number four, test Time does matter. And you know, whatever you do when you change your eating habits or you change your diet, it is true that time does make a difference. And of course, if you are sick, you have to act very quickly. Because whenever a disease is spread everywhere in your body, Uh, You can still try a diet. might not work as good as when you 
are just at the beginning of a sickness. So time does matter. And then the final outcome of the story. This is a a happy ending. But this is good. I'm just reading a couple of verses. Verses 15, for instance. Then 17, then 19, and 20. 15, it says, And at the end of the ten days, their features appeared better and fatter in flesh. It doesn't, doesn't mean that they've, they were overweight, but they looked much better. Then all the young men who ate the portion of the king's delicacies. And then verse 17 says, As for this young man, God gave them knowledge and skill in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. Then verses 19 and 20. Then the king interviewed them. And among them all none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. By the way, he's mentioning their original names. Have you noticed this? He's not mentioning the changed names. He's mentioning the original Hebrew names, telling us that after three years, college training or brainwash, nothing really happened to them because they still remember, they still remember their own old names given by their father, maybe, or mother. And so it says, the end of the days when the king had said this, uh, I'm sorry, verse 19, the king interviewed them, and among them, all, none of us found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore they served before the king, and in all matters of wisdom and understanding about which the king examined them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and astrologers who were in all his realm. So what happened to them? You remember the story begins with the word gave. God gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, the new king. Or the chief military officer at that time. That he is, was going to become the king. And then at the end of the story, God gave something to somebody else. It says that for Verse 17, for these four young men, God gave them knowledge and skill in all literature and wisdom. And then, in addition to that, Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. Intellectual and spiritual gifts. Would you like to receive those gifts? Would be so nice. And it was related to their decision they made up their mind. They made a decision in their heart. They would not defile themselves. So the brainwash did not really work. 
And after 10 days, 10 times wiser, more intelligent. So the king probably was surprised. And he told himself, these young men are teaching something to me. Because I like drinking wine. I eat everything I like. But these young men ate vegetables, drank water only. And they are smarter, smarter. They are more intelligent. They even received gifts, special gifts, understanding visions and dreams. And believe me, God is always in control. That's the lesson of chapter 1. Although he is not seen all the time. And there was an ancient prophecy by uh, prophet Isaiah. I'd like to finish with this sentence. Isaiah 49 and then verse 25. Isaiah, who lived at least 150 or 60 years before them. He was a great prophet. He was a great character. And Isaiah, in his chapter 49, and verse 25, he says, But thus says the Lord, Even the captives of the mighty shall be taken away. And the prey, the, the prey of the terrible be delivered. For I will contend with him who contends with you, and I will save your children. Prophecy. Over 150 years before, God said, I will take away those who are captive. Captives. And the prey of the terrible be delivered. And I will save your children. So that's exactly what God wants to do with you too. Even today. So my prayer is that by studying the book of Daniel. We would understand that God is always in control. Although he sometimes working behind the scenes. And there are crisis situations. This church is in a crisis situation. Don't give up. Because God is still there. And, and he is still the real one. Not the gods of Nebuchadnezzar. Although he took those holy vessels... And, and, and he carried them all the way for about a thousand miles from Jerusalem to the land of Shinar. And, and he put all those holy vessels in his own God's treasure house. And it looks that God was silent. But God was behind the scenes. And in his time... He delivered his people. I will save your children. That's what he said. 
And so this is my prayer this morning that our good Lord would really protect us. Whatever comes, never forget that he's the real one. There are no other gods. This God is the one who controls human history. He's the one who is in charge of your life. So never give up. And you'll be blessed. Amen.